Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you for tuning in to the Sports Ethos Nets podcast. This is your host, Cody Mallory. I am delighted to be once again joined by my two co-hosts, Anthony Dittmar. How's it going, man? It's good, man. How you doing? Hanging in there. And then Joe Farrow. How's it going, Joe? Hanging in there just like you, pal. Yeah, guys, it is certainly an insane time to be a Brooklyn Nets fan. So I am beyond excited to announce our newest guest to the show. NBA insider Brandon Scoopy Robinson of Bali Sports. Thanks for taking your time out of your day for us, man. How's it going? Man, I'm maintaining. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, of course. We're uh, very excited, as I think all Mets fans are, to have a conversation with you. Hopefully, kind of figure out what's going on. Um, <laughs> but before we do that, why don't you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself quickly? I'm Brandon Robinson. Uh, my, my parents named me Brandon. Well, I'm known as Brandon Scoopy Robinson. My parents named me Brandon Robinson. I'm over at Bally Sports. Uh, but aside from all of that, um, I, I started in the industry as a kid. Um, I actually started in radio with the Nets at 12. Uh, I, I had a radio show on AM radio uh, in New York at, uh, with um, former Ned Albert King, uh, as well as Evan Roberts and uh, Chris Carino executive produced the show. It was called uh, Net Slam and Planet. Um, I would interview everybody. This was during the, the Cassell, um, Jason Williams, Kendall Gill, Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn era. Calipari was the head coach and vice president of basketball operations. Did that for two seasons uh, while I was there. Uh, I rubbed elbows with Woj, who was at the, the Bergen record at the time. Uh, Chris Broussard, who was at the New York Times. Uh, Stephen A. Smith was at the Inquirer uh, in Philadelphia. So I saw all those guys and, um, you know, just was there for two years. Grew, uh, went, went to prep school, went to college, went to grad school, and then, you know, found my way back into the industry uh, after grad school. I went to Hofstra University for grad school and, you know, at one point was freelancing in about 10 different places uh, and, and was really just built what I needed to build, uh, living in my grandmother's basement, uh, literally, and uh, paying rent and, and just grinding between freelancing and adjunct professoring at a couple of different colleges, really invested my mind, my time, my money, and my mind into uh, just being myself. I have a podcast called Scoopy Radio, which garners three to 10 million streams annually, available on all platforms, DJ Khaled, Mark Cuban, Shaq, Charles Barkley, Isaiah Thomas, a bunch of people, uh, as well as the voice of Siri have all been on the podcast. So in addition to what I do with Bally, I have the Scoopy Radio podcast, and I also uh, host a, a show called Scoopy Sources via Spotify Live. So uh, very engaged in basketball, connected in the industry, and, and really in love and enjoy what I do. I mean, awesome. I, mean I, 
I think I speak for Joe, Anthony, and myself when we all say we have like a ton of respect to you, look up to you. Kind of our goal is to get where you are, and we definitely know that you busted your ass to get there. So we're very excited to talk about the Nets with you, team. I think all of us love. Yeah, man, we all we we do. And uh, again, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So um, before we get into the latest on the trade rumors, obviously that's kind of the buzz in the Nets world for what the last week and a half um based on everything that you heard or have uh yeah with everything you've heard what ultimately led to kevin durant requesting a trade from the nets from your perspective combination of things i think just that the the nets as an organization um figuring out uh how to uh blend with their superstars i think that the, the steve nash as a head coach is looking for more of a systems uh approach and i think that both Kyrie and kd are um solo acts and um but i think they're very talented solo acts i think uh nash was a first year head coach coming into a situation and i think that sean marks brought uh, kevin durant into a and Kyrie irving into a situation um with nash where uh, they all were figuring each other out and i think that the nets thought that steve nash uh, would be everything that Steve Kerr uh, might have become for the Warriors. And it takes time to establish that culture and that chemistry because unlike the Warriors, you look at Steph Curry, look at Klay Thompson, and even Draymond Green, those were homegrown Warriors players. Um, you know, Kyrie and KD were already household names. And um, I, I think you're in a situation where uh, they they really got the superstar treatment, but you got to win. I think year one was an experiment where, you know, Kevin wasn't there because he was healing and Kyrie's shoulder was an issue. Then in year two, they got to the playoffs and Harden and Kai both got hurt. I think year two was their best chance of, of at this point of, of winning uh, a championship. And I really feel like last season, this past season, I kind of felt like there was a level of arrogance or self-righteousness that they were going to just make it to the finals. And it doesn't work like that. I mean, I think uh, a key thing you just said was at this point, does that mean you think that there's still hope we see the 7-11 era continue in Brooklyn? Well, I mean, when you look at the situation um, in Brooklyn as it relates to what people have been offering Brooklyn uh, and, and discussions, um, it, it, it clearly looks that way at, at present time when we're, we're recording. Uh, I'm not running from smoke, but you know you got to preface that because you know how Twitter comes at me daily. Uh, <laughs> But what I'll say is, you know, in conversations that the Nets have had with Toronto, the Nets want Scotty Barnes. Toronto doesn't want to give him up. You know, you look at, at you look at Miami uh, as it relates to Kyrie Irving. Uh, there's a package of Nick Schuss as well as uh, Tyler Hero uh, and, and and some picks get it done. In my opinion, no. Um, you, you look at the Lakers and what they're offering. The Nets want Anthony Davis if there's going to be any movement as well as um, Russell Westbrook. So I think in that situation, I, I still think that when you look at the Nets, even though Kyrie Irving was not voted as a top 75 player, he's a top 76 all-time player. Um, you look at Kevin Durant, he's a top 75 player of all time. Um, and you don't just give them up for, for scraps. And I think the thing that kind of gets lost in translation is, okay, fine. You trade hypothetically, right? Kevin Durant, you're hoping for picks, but you're, you're basically trading Kevin Durant for eighth grader, somebody in 27 or 28 or 29, that's going to come out and you're hoping um, that that becomes a star player. I I think at this point, the nets aren't just going to give, Kevin Durant away, and nor should they. 
Same with Kyrie Irving. So that, that's the stalemate that you're finding in these situations. Guys just are in a situation where they don't want, the Nets don't want to just give up those guys for shoulda, coulda, woulda, something hopeful, or for a future seventh, eighth, ninth grader. Brandon, I have one quick question on that. Do you think if the Nets controlled their own picks, say they never made the James Harden trade, um, they had control of their own picks, do you think they'd be more willing to go down that route of taking draft picks on as opposed to like a younger all-star caliber player? I'm not sure. Um, when I look at that situation with Harden, though, I still feel like the Nets won, um, at least from a personnel perspective. Um, because even with Ben Simmons, who we have a wait-and-see approach about, you still got a role player in Seth Curry that I think was valuable. Um, I think the Drummond situation, I think on paper, uh, he was an asset that we thought would help them in the playoffs. Um, that wasn't the case, but I think that the combination of of Seth Curry having him on the roster, as well as having Joe Harris on the roster, I think having Seth Curry makes Joe Harris expendable if they're looking to make a move with the team later on. Yeah, that 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 definitely makes a lot of sense. And when you look at it, that eighteen million dollars attached to Joe Harris's name, that has to be like a pivotal piece of the Nets' offseason moving forward, right? That's a lot of money with a lot with how deep they are into the luxury tax that they can't afford to keep around. Yeah, I'm with you. Do you think like with the Nets' movement right now, like a lot of teams, I feel like their rosters are almost put in place. I know a lot of people are waiting for these two dominoes to fall if they do fall. Are a lot of teams like getting to the point where like they're not trying to wait anymore and they're just trying to move forward their roster as as it stands right now because they're kind of getting post summer league it's kind of like a dead period for the NBA up until training camp typically. Yeah, and I think that's where the 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 optics are so strong um, in summer league because like like I I use this example and kind of related to what you're talking about so like even in the Ben Simmons situation at the beginning of last season right. So you're in a situation where Ben Simmons wanted out in Philly and um, we go into the season, he sits out. People only have the playoffs the previous season to go by, right? And so comparatively, when you look at the, 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 the summer league and you look at free agency, um, it's the height of when people are making some moves and um, people are trying to connect those dots and then it gets quiet. And then training camp starts. And then those conversations kind of heat up again. Uh, out of sight, out of mind is, 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 I guess, what I'm going with. Um, I, I think that once the season starts or once training camp starts, I, I think that's where you may see those conversations start if something doesn't come about, you know, in the next day or week or so. But I, I think that this is a situation where um, I know people have classically used the example of Kobe Bryant requesting a trade. And I think, the Bulls and the Clippers were both suitors in that situation. Um, I, I think that when you look at Kevin Durant, um, who is of that superstar ilk like Kobe is, I, I think that's where those deeper conversations kind of come about. Um, I, I think there is a philosophical difference in the coaching staff, uh, the players, and the front office. Uh, I, I think that those are conversations where people – um, really dialogue what's bothering them. And I honestly think uh, when I look at this situation, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Celtics and hear what I'm going to say. Al Horford shared with me that um, during the finals, when I was traveling and covering the finals, that, you know, there was a game when Boston played against uh, the Sixers. And um, 
you know, it was in that moment, that competitive moment that he knew uh, that the Sixers and the Nets could, excuse me, the Sixers and the, or rather the Celtics could hang with the Sixers as an elite team and their confidence grew. Um, I I think comparatively, you you, you take those line of demarcations points where you're at your lowest and you kind of elevate. Those are the moments that really develop champions, competitive squads. And I really feel like Brooklyn is just too talented. Um, I really feel like, um, you know, Boston surprised many people uh, because of their defensive prowess. I come from the philosophy that defense wins championships, offense wins games. Boston is not a surprise to people anymore. And I think that in this situation with the Nets, I think the problem is the pressure. The pressure, they can't go under the radar. I think the Nets, like the Sixers, like the Bucks, uh, were, were counted on to just be uh, this team that was going to make it all the way. And honestly, I think the fact that they're they're being criticized and ridiculed, I think is the, the level of discomfort that they need if they come back and they want to do something. I really think that um, I really think that the, that narrative of the Nets just being a made champion is um is, is kind of dead. I, I think, you know, it's earned. And um, if they come back, I think they have something to prove. Kyrie has something to prove. If he wants that extension, Kevin Durant, I think is the best player on the team. That's his team. And, and, and I also think that Ben Simmons has something to prove. We, we have not seen him play basketball in like two years. Do you think the door is completely shut? Like, I just want to get right to it. Is there a world, is there no chance they come back? Like, or is it just a forced thing? Or is it like, I think the door is open. Mm. Okay. Well, so. you mentioned you mentioned Boston before, and they obviously have found a way to get even better this offseason by adding Malcolm Brogdon. And that trade isn't official yet because Brogdon hasn't um hasn't gotten his physical done. With that being said, once that trade is finalized, is it a foregone conclusion that DeAndre Ayton is going to receive an offer sheet from the Pacers effectively taking the Suns out of the Kevin Durant race, or is that still all up in the air? So the Ayton portion of it, uh, from everyone I've spoken with, even back in the finals, it was always a, a either a Pistons, a Pacers, or a Spurs conversation. Um, the, the Spurs mainly because, I mean, this was before Murray was moved, but, um, I think Aiton has the potential to really be the focal point of a team. Um, but when I look at that Pacers organization, honestly, if Heald is not moved, if Halliburton is not moved, if you're able to add, um, Aiton to that team, I really think that they're a competitive young Eastern conference team, um, that people should be watching. Um, I, I think that, um, I know that the, the situation with the Suns, even dating back uh, to the offseason last year, um, you know, those in his circle felt as though uh, he was dissed because Chris Paul talked about him getting a bag. The bag's got a hole in it. Where's the bag? Where's the cream filling? Um, and then, you know, you go into a situation and during the season where, um, Aiton just shut up and played kind of like a situation like Kyrie might go into this season. If he stays in Brooklyn, you, you show up, you play, you do what you need to do. Now what's up? Um, I, I think that the Spurs would be interesting, but I think the Pacers, man, just as, as constructed, how that team looks. Um, I, I really think that if uh, Kevin Pritchard is able to get Aiton to, to the Pacers, um, I really think he he has the opportunity to 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 be named uh, executive of the year um, if he's able to pull that off and the Pacers do well. I really like Tyrese Halliburton's game. Um, I, I, I like I like um, I like the move that they made 
uh, with the Sacramento Kings at the off at the excuse me at the trading deadline, and to add eight into the puzzle, man, I I really think that they could do some numbers in the Eastern Conference. Do you think them Aiden being in the sign and trade though, making it not possible for Phoenix to make a deal with the Nets? Is that like a direct correlation? Because that means what do you have Bridges to Cam Johnson offering? That's really not enough unless you get a third team involved. Well, I think it's I think it's interesting um, that Aiden has not signed anything yet, and that. He's kind of waiting idly. The Nets are wait, waiting idly. Um, I know that the Suns uh, are, have interest uh, in um, Kevin Durant, but I, I think that if they're able to make a move as such, you go for it. But the Cam Johnson portion of it, I, I think he's definitely someone, um, if he were to be moved to the Nets, uh, in a some type of move for Kevin Durant, I think he would benefit them. I think the Nets would definitely be ushering in a youth movement, and it would be a clean break uh, in, in their situation. But um, I have not gotten any indication that that is something the Nets are looking to do at this time. Um, so when you look at it from an Aiton perspective and with the Pacers, I do think that Aiton um, would benefit them immensely. I've never seen a, like a, a near free agent like Max guy wait this long to sign anything. So that's why I think you're right when you said there's a correlation, because I've never seen someone close to that level of money just wait like two weeks into free agency to sign. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's one of the misnomers in, in today's NBA free agency. Yeah, Very interesting. So, Brad, I guess I have a question. So let's say the Nets don't move Katie and Kyrie. Um, there's kind of been this notion that would KD and Kyrie play? And I think you kind of answered it earlier by saying that everyone has a lot to prove. Um, I don't think that Kevin Durant's the type of player who would just sit out. We all know how much he loves basketball. He's very competitive. And then you said even Kyrie, like he has a ton to prove. He's coming down that last year, the player option he just signed. He wants to get his max contract. Um, do you think there's a world where, say, the Nets just say, no, we're not trading you? Do you think KD and Kyrie would play? Or do you think there's a chance they would sit out? I think this is uncharted territory for, for Kai and Kevin, specifically because you've seen Anthony Davis in, in New Orleans and you've seen James Harden both in Houston and in Brooklyn. Um, I'm not sure whether they would sit, but I do know that there has been a president prior to, the, to where we are currently. And I think that... Um, if Kyrie does get his, get his extension, I think we'll be having a different conversation. But I think it's bigger than just money. I think it's respect. I think it's a meeting of the minds. And I also think it's um, some of the things that I've tweeted. I know we joke about 48 and 11 and 7 and 10. And I'm, I'm getting people's attention. But more than anything else, the substance is always there. Um, there are some fractured issues there. As I mentioned before, you look at the Nets coaching staff. Uh, Adam mm-hmm. Harrington, uh, who was who was a, a dear friend of of Kevin Durant, uh, was is not in the fold as a coaching uh, as a coach as an assistant coach in Steve Nash's Steve Nash's system. Like Carter, uh, who I'm told uh, did not get the jab, and then you know was was told that he would be part of that staff, from what I understand, and then wasn't. 
Um, there's the issue there. So I, I think that, you know, and, and talking to people who um, are in Irving's circle, I'm told um, that he still does have a respect for the organization. Um, he has a history with that Mets organization. This is a team that, you know, since 1967 has had an identity crisis from Long Island to the swamps of East Rutherford to Newark to then the borough of Brooklyn. Um, but that if he uh, is not, um, if, if he is traded, he has a desire to go West. Um, but I'm also told that he has a desire to still partner with Kevin. And so um, that's a lot of demands for in some people's minds. You want to go with your teammate and you want to go West. The Nets don't have to do anything um, if they don't want to, because they're signed contractually to Brooklyn or to the, the Kyrie and Kevin are signed contractually to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, but I do think that, um, all of those things that are being discussed and that I'm hearing and that I'm being told, as you mentioned, as the summer months wane, um, I, I'm, I think that those guys can have some sort of discussion. I don't think that the conversation is as dead as some may think it is, but it's not dead because I think the Nets are seeing the true value. It's almost like um, somebody finding their high school sweetheart at 18 and then they break up at like, 30 and it's a whole new dating world you got to swipe left um it's a complete yeah <laughs> it's like it's a whole new world and i think like they're that. having that realization but i also think that as much as they have that realization um the nets realize that they're the baddest bitch on the block still <laughs> <laughs> uh, can i jump in real quick i think when the nets first built this up without the draft picks post that trade they sold themselves on culture because when teams don't really have talent or assets that's what they do and they did that in the 19 18 19 season when they lost to the sixers in that first round which brought them the stars because it put them on the map quote unquote i think once they fired kenny atkinson once they traded some of those guys away and it was all stars you kind of like sold your soul to the devil in a sense where like you brought in this nash guy to like manage stars do all these things you kind of like traded your culture for stardom. I think when you get into bed with that, I think you have to live with the results. And now the Nets are kind of like you said, have an identity crisis. And I don't think it's fair to like the fans that you're going to sell us this. And now all of a sudden you want to go back to what it was. Like, I feel like you owe it to the, the, the fans at this point to at least give it the best shots. It really hasn't been given a best shot due to injuries and unforeseen circumstances. Like, don't you agree? It's like kind of like ironic that they're trying to go get back to what they were when they already had it. Yeah. You know, you talk to Kenny. Kenny is, you know, spoke glowingly just about their roster. Uh, you know, he shared with me, man, I would do. I, let me let me preface this the right way, because I don't want the aggregators to say Kenny Atkinson wants to come back. He said it would have been cool uh, if I was still there, but he's happy uh, to see the Nets morph uh, into the roster that they've become. But he went on to win a championship. So, I mean, he, he has nothing to uh, hang his head low on, I think. You know, he's in a good situation, but I do think that, as you mentioned, the culture, I think people overuse the word culture, by the way. Agreed. Um, but I, I do think that the Nets uh, with Atkinson, I think he exceeded expectations, number one. Um, I, and I think that, you know, that's why I think he, he would have been such a great, uh, in a great position in Charlotte had he kept that uh, position going. I agree. We all said the same thing on here, too. He must have a deal with Kerr to get the head coaching job after he retires. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, but I, I definitely think um, 
you know, I think he's in a good situation. And I think uh, I think uh, I'm happy for him. While we're on the coaching train, we have seen Kyrie Irving go on record in the past and say, like, oh, we don't feel as if we like need a head coach or whatever. But um, the Nets lose a couple of their assistant coaches. Obviously, Kyrie and KD aren't happy about the personnel that they decide not to bring back. On top of that, Scoop, I believe it was your report a few years ago that um, that uh, Kyrie Irving was a big fan of Phil Handy, and he wanted and he wanted uh, him as the head coach before the Nets chose Steve Nash, and then uh, Phil Handy decides to go to L.A. Does that play any part in Kyrie's interest in L.A. besides LeBron James being mayor, or is it Wait just? Wait a minute, I have sources. Yeah, <laughs> you do. We know. That, that's know. not what that's not what Twitter tells me. <laughs> Twitter tells us otherwise, but we know. Trust me, I've seen a lot of them in my mentions these past couple of days. You don't have any it's, sources. Uh, it's it's coming full circle. It's coming full circle, right? So, in answer to your question about um Kai and Kevin and more, yeah, uh, I I am I am of the understanding. I'll phrase it that way. Um, that Kyrie wanted. Uh, Phil Handy uh, as a head coach. Um, and the funny thing is, or the I- irony of it all is um, Nash, Handy, and Marks all have a respect and a familiarity for one another. Um, but ultimately, one, um, Marks and Nash have their own relationship. Two, um, I know just in talking to various people quietly, at one point, Marks was considering Jason Kidd for the head coaching position prior to Nash being hired. Uh, and three, uh, when Handy wanted to get uh, permission to interview for uh, the assistant coaching position with the Nets, I understand from the people uh, that I've spoken with that the Lakers declined um, him doing so. Um, and Listen, Phil Handy is a relationships guy. He's very trusted. The same way that Ty Lue uh, was a trusted guy in the the, the uh, Cavs locker room, and he ultimately replaced David Blatt, uh, Phil Handy has that similar respect in carte blanche, and you've seen it in the locker room with um, the Raptors. Uh, you've seen it with the Lakers on multiple multiple stints. Um, and you saw it in Cleveland. He is the Kyrie, Kawhi, and LeBron whisperer. Um, specifically to your question about that being the reason why um, Kyrie would want to go, um, I will tell you that on the Kyrie side, I'm told that that is more of a Lakers wish than it is a Kyrie wish. Interesting. It's interesting. Like, I feel like with all these rumors going out there and whatnot, everyone's like ruling out the possibility, like you said, of them coming back. I really just don't like to be completely blunt. I just don't see a trade where the Nets actually make where Kevin Durant wants to be at a place because I just don't think the Heat, like you said, have the assets to get KD. I don't think the Pelicans and the Raptors want to give up the assets, which is why I really don't know how this really ends other than like them giving it one more shot. Because, like, the way I see it is. If you go one more year, Durant still has three years. If it doesn't work, you'd still trade him. And really, if you're trading Kyrie, you're really getting nothing anyway. Like, and maybe a pick or two from the Lakers if, like, that ends up happening. So if you lose Kyrie, you walk, like, 
what are you losing? Like, you're not really losing a lot if you run it back one more time. Yeah, Duran has one less year, but it's really not a whole lot. Maybe more teams are at play because they realize they can make a trade. That's the way I see it personally. I don't know if you agree or not. I've always been of the uh, notion that they should run it back one more time. Like, yeah. What are they getting for Kyrie anyway? Like, is the best offer going to be the Lakers offer, like a 2027 first in Westbrook? Um, yeah, I, I, unless you're looking to go the Heat, which I think the, the Lakers is a better offer, but I think the Lakers want more. Um, you but you also look at the Miami Heat situation. The Nets, the the, the or excuse me, the Nets are going to want more in that situation with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. The Lakers are only going to give up Russell Westbrook and picks. You look at the Heat situation. You know the Nets are going to ask for a Bam Adebayo. Um, you you look at a situation with uh, the Mavs. Uh, you know I, I think. The Navs losing J- Jalen Brunson, uh, Kyrie would fit perfectly in that system alongside Luca, even because he has the relationship with Jason Kidd. But realistically, who are you giving up to get him? Um, and I just think that they're in a similar situation that the Pelicans are in if the Pelicans were looking to get KD. Um, it, it's just we're filled. It's kind of like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Sorry, we're filled. It, it's it's <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the, the, the Mavs, as deep as they went in the playoffs this year, their issue was they needed a center. The Rudy Gobert move to Minnesota would have helped Dallas more. I think the big man position, yeah, they did get JaVel McGee. Um, but I, I think Brooklyn is the fit for Kyrie and Kevin Durant. As much as you want to like slice it and dice it, I just think that there's a miscommunication that they should figure out. I don't think that just blowing it up is the answer. Totally. It's hard. It's hard not to be of the notion that you want them to run it back because even though they made the Nets made a bunch of small moves, they also lost some key guys. But on paper, when you look at this team with the addition of T.J. Warren, if he's healthy, and a guy like Royce O'Neal, bringing back Patty Mills, another year of uh, development for Cam Thomas coming up. Like on paper, this team just looks better than it did last year. And Joe, you forgot Ben Simmons and Joe Harris coming back. Uh, yeah, absolutely. These guys. Are on the <laughs> you forgot the two big yeah, pieces. Reality. Yeah, no, for sure. But it's like on paper, full full strength. This team just looks so much better than it did last year. And I mentioned Cam Thomas, so I want to get I want to get your thoughts on uh, his little post game eye roll <laughs> after yesterday when they talked about Steve Nash. Uh, any thoughts on that, Scoop? I think um, I think people are looking too much into it. Okay, that's I fair. Think, I think he's he's a grown ass man. Let him be grown. <laughs> if he roll his eyes, so what? You gonna put him on punishment? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't even think he was rolling his eyes at the Nash part. I think he was rolling his eyes at the notion that he's not a willing or able, capable passer. I know I we saw that last year. We saw that last year when it was mentioned, and he was like, "Oh, like he wasn't able to pass." He's like, "I got Aldridge in the mid. Of course, I'm gonna pass it to him." Like, I mean, this isn't the first time he's been, I guess, kind of called out for not being able to pass a basketball. And I think he just doesn't think that that's true. Yeah, that pisses him off. You can tell. <laughs> Let him yeah, live so his truth. Right. So I think I agree with uh, you. I think they're kind of blowing it out of him, like rolling his eyes at Nash and that he has no respect for Nash. I don't think any of that's true. I think it's more of the notion that he's not a capable passer, in my opinion. I'm with that as well. Totally agree. Um, So I guess I got one more question for you, Brandon. Um, 
You okay. kind of mentioned it with Adebayo. Um, so as we all know, the Nets would not be able to take Adebayo back in a trade with Ben Simmons still on the roster. Same thing with the Donovan Mitchell rumors that have been floated around. Um, do you think the Nets are pretty committed to Ben Simmons at this point in time? Um, I know that the Utah Jazz and the Nets have had a level of conversation, um, but I, I think it was more exploratory. I don't think it was anything concrete. And I know that uh, Mitchell, I spoke to somebody yesterday uh, in Westchester that I have a good rapport with, um, you know, that that intimated to me that, you know, Donovan has, has a desire to play at home, whether it's the Knicks or the Nets. Uh, he's from Elmsford by way of uh, Connecticut. And I, I know that um, that would be a dream. I honestly feel like the Knicks are a better fit than the Nets. Personally, I think they are a better fit because, um, the Knicks have certain assets um, that they could freely trade um, that are a fit. I keep talking about that fit. If the Utah Jazz are looking to grow younger, as they've you know already gotten rid of Gobert, um, if they're looking to make a nice clean break, um, you, you'd have to look at some of the assets that the Knicks do have. And if I'm the Utah Jazz, I'm looking at R.J. Barrett off the top. Uh, as well as Obi Toppin, as well as Emmanuel Quigley. Uh, and, and I know that the, the Knicks, you know, have during the summer thrown around Julius Randle. I, I feel like uh, I like Julius Randle's game a lot. Um, I think he's a fit on certain teams. Um, but if you're looking to keep Randle um, and you're looking to bring in Mitchell and match him up with Jalen Brunson, I really think that that team will be exciting to watch in today's NBA but you run the risk of, you know, ridding yourself of, of top tier young talent um, with, you know, the Obi Toppins of the world, as well as, um, um, as well as uh, Quigley. So I think, um, you know, you look at the situation with, with, with Donovan Mitchell, I do think the Knicks are a better fit than the Nets um, in this situation. Yeah. So Donovan Mitchell, definitely something to keep an eye on after we saw the Gobert trade. Um, Joe, Anthony, you guys got any more questions you want to ask Brandon before we jump into the summer league action real quick? Uh, yeah, I have one. Um, so how do you think, um, with the, with the whole new roster and the new pieces that we brought in, how do you think Ben Simmons will be utilized best next season? If Kyrie and KD are still on the nets? Um, I think he is the epitome of, uh, Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> he, I think that he's a good defender. Uh, he needs to run, play defense, uh, and pass the ball. I think, all joking aside, uh, he offers something to the Nets um, that is interesting. He, he takes less shots than James Harden, um, and he is a playmaker that frees Kevin and Kyrie off the ball, specifically Kyrie, um, where I, I think they really could have used him in the Boston series. Uh, both as a defender and a playmaker. And and really when I looked at James Harden in the regular season a year or two ago, whenever James, Kyrie, and Kevin all played together, um, their, their, their chemistry on that court was magical. Um, I feel like uh, Ben Simmons uh, has some of that luster as it relates to just being a, a tall uh, ball handler that can get guys involved. I, I don't think he needs to get you 30 or 40 points a game. I think he can get you a solid 10 to 15 uh, and fill up a stat sheet accordingly. Um, I think that's one of the greatest things about that situation. But I'll add this, the chemistry that um, I think he'll have um, uh, playing alongside 
Nicholas Claxton is what I'm really enamored with. Um, and I saw glimpses of that brilliance with, with Kyrie and, and Claxton off the screen and roll. Uh, but to see kind of Ben Simmons uh, in that role, can you imagine a world where you got Claxton, Kyrie, uh, Simmons, Kevin Durant, uh, and Seth Curry all on the court at the same time? That's really like AAU positionless basketball and, and is an, is a joy to watch. I think we can go 82 and 0 on 2K with that roster, but you know, in all actuality, in all actuality like you actually got to play the games. Um, and and I and I, I really I'm really hopeful um, that if 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 the if the roster as constructed goes the way it needs to go, um, that Simmons can be a part of that uh, and mental health uh, and, and that repair is 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 in full motion. Uh, but also uh, the stars align with you know, Kevin and, and Kyrie and, and and some of the other guys that I mentioned. But like I said, it starts with a conversation uh, and, and and hopefully uh, head coach Steve Nash and, and, and the coaching staff involved and Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant, as well as Sean Marks, have some sort of uh, resolution fairly soon. Yeah, I, I, I've listened to uh, I've listened to J.J. Reddick's podcast a lot, and he's gone on record to say that it, with all the great passes that he's played with, including Chris Paul, just throwing, just being able to get uh, your teammate an open three. Ben Simmons is the best player he's ever attempted to play with at that point. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah, definitely sounds good. <laughs> with this yeah, roster, that's all we need. <laughs> I think we can all agree. I just, I hope we all get to see it. I think like Brandon just said, it'll be just beautiful basketball to watch on paper. The team's loaded, kind of has everything covered, shooters, superstars, elite role players. Like, I just hope we get to see it. But, Anthony, any other questions you want to ask before we jump to Summer League? Uh, No, I think that's everything we touched on pretty well. All right. So, it has felt like forever, but we finally got to watch some Brooklyn Nets basketball. Um, We've seen two Summer League games so far. Uh, What stuck out most to you guys? Cam Thomas is him. That's what sticks out. <laughs> that guy is a scoring machine. I can't wait to see how he fits in, hopefully, with the bits and pieces of the new guys that we brought in and what role he'll be able to play in his second year in the league. Yeah, Cam Thomas, to me, like you said, he reminds me of, like, a Jordan Clarkson-esque, who's, like, not the best three-ball shooter, even though he can shoot fairly well. just like a pure scorer. Like, he's had other skills and may need some work, but, like, maybe you don't need that. Maybe, like, a Jordan Clarkson trajectory or, like, a, maybe a Lou Will or something like that is, like, what he can be if you give him more run and more minutes. I think last year he kind of fell out of the rotation for a little bit after the Nets got some bodies back. But I really do think he is a rotation player in the NBA, maybe even a little more than that. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think for me, I mean, I kind of knew what Cam would do in the summer league, in my opinion. I've been definitely impressed with the improvement of David Duke Jr. I think he can kind of play the, play that Bruce Brown role if need be. And then Dayron Sharp. I know Brandon was just talking about Ben Simmons with Claxton in the pick and roll, but I want to see Ben Simmons and, and Dayron in the pick and roll as well. I think we kind of saw it last game when he puts on an absolute poster and Ben actually posted on his Instagram story. So I think the Nets young pieces that we saw kind of jump from the G League to the Nets last year due to COVID and other issues, I think they could contribute once again this year if need be. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, All right, Joe, I think you had some fan questions that we were going to run through real quick, right? I think naturally we really got through like all of them (laughs) throughout, throughout the entire, um, 
throughout the entire episode. Um, the one last thing is, what were you guys' thoughts on uh, Harden deciding to take the pay cut? That was like the one thing we haven't addressed. I think he kind of knew like his market wasn't really the max level guy for this year, and I think he wanted to take that like team first approach after like two stints where he kind of forced his way out of places. I think he wants to change the narrative in his career. I think he, he's come across a selfish, non-dedicated player in the past where now he really is all in on winning. And I honestly, like, I commend him for that. Like, I know we've had our fair share of slandering Harden, but for this one, I won't slander him because he actually is taking a team-first approach. His pay cut, I think a lot of them get P.J. Tucker. Maybe allows him to get someone down the road or later in free agency if someone else becomes available. So, yeah, I think it was a combination of, like, he realized he wasn't really that guy. I don't think he was going to get a full max in the open market, but he also helped the team out in the same regard. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat because, I mean, really, when you look at it, he was offered a two-year, $103 million contract in right before he left Houston. He declined that. Obviously, I believe the Nets wanted to extend him for a full four-year max early, before last season had begun. And then, obviously, he ends up in Philly and then takes a $30 million pay cut to, to give the team some more flexibility. So, yeah, I commend him for that, but... Man, that's a big bag bro missed out on. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think good by him, but <laughs> no, I think he uh I think it was good by him, good move. Um, I think it also kind of eases the pressure in Philly if he doesn't perform to some extent. Um, I know the Philly fans are pretty tough, but maybe they'll realize he kind of sacrificed a little bit to help improve the roster. But other than that. Um, Brandon, we're going to close here, but I'm going to put you on the spot. You don't have to answer if you don't want to, but at the game one of next season, are Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the Brooklyn Nets? Once again, your best guess. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. I'd like to see them there. I think that they, as as I've said throughout this conversation, um, I think there are some things that they're going to have to figure out and concede on both sides. Um, And I think if they're able to do that, yeah, we could see them uh, for 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 the first game of the season. Um, yeah, that's where we are. All right, perfect. Well, sure, we uh, don't like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, thank you for listening to another episode of the Sports Ethos Nets podcast with Anthony, Joe, and Cody. We want to give a big shout out and thank you once again to Brandon Scoopy Robinson of Bali Sports for taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat about the Brooklyn Nets with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you, man.